Uh, I don't know about you, but I think some of the funnest, the most fun memories, to be grammatically correct, not funnest, are to see kids up here, aren't it? I remember uh, one time, uh, kids up there, and all of a sudden, one kid comes running off the stage like a cheetah. And all fours. They just do the craziest things, don't they? And they're just so much fun. And children are so much about what this season is about. And, and, you know, we use phrases this kind of time of year like, tis the season for giving. And, and Christmas just brings out the best in us. I think, though, sometimes as I was pondering this message this last week, that uh, I think sometimes, and it's not, it's not necessarily a totally bad thing at all. I mean, I think, it's, I think it's got a lot of good stuff to it, but I think sometimes Charles Dickinson's story about the Scrooge is, almost shapes the way we think about Christmas, sometimes even more than the gospel story in Luke. And we're going to look at that a little bit today, because isn't it true that at the Christmas season, we all, I mean, it turns everybody from hard-hearted, selfish people into just generous, giving, warm-hearted, loving people. And it's just a great time of year to express that, especially we love to give to kids, just like Scrooge's heart is warmed by the kids. We love to give to kids. How many of you as parents... Uh, especially, or, or, or remember trying to get a gift for a close family member. Remember a time when somebody in your family, your kids or a friend, needed, needed, I mean, they needed a gift. It was like this was a really big gift to them, and it was a really hard thing to get. Now, um, we had one particular moment, and maybe, maybe many of you can relate to this as well. Do you remember, what was it, about 2007 that the Wii came out? you remember that? Remember what it was like back then? That was a gift that our kids really, really wanted. And we thought, oh, this sounds fun. It would be a good family time. Do you remember the lines and the shortages? you remember the people selling them on eBay for, you know, six, seven hundred bucks for the people who had to have them? Now, um, my wife and I uh, are not shoppers. I, I, married, I married a woman who does not like to shop. That's, that maybe is a little bit different. But, so we don't really do a whole lot of standing in line for anything. We try to go for things when they're, they're easy to get. But that particular Christmas, we decided that we really wanted the we. And so we hear in the newspaper that Fred Meyer, which is Oregon's version of Meyer, uh, was going to have a limited shipment at all their stores. He didn't know how many, was gonna, how many were going to be there. And so we got up like at 11 o'clock at night, and she went to one Fred Meyer, and I went to the other one, and we stood in line with 500 people at each place. And we didn't know how many we were going to give away, and thankfully I was like the second or third to the last person at that store to actually get a ticket to go get a wee. And it was one of the only times in life that I'll say staying up all night in line to shop was worth it. I mean, the kids' smiles, the fun we had. You know, we get out and start playing Wii tennis, and we're all swinging like this because we hadn't learned yet that you can just do that. And so we all end up with tennis elbow in a day. And we have at least one person in my family who hasn't learned yet that you can do all the games like this and still swings like this. So whenever we were around her, um, we give her extra room. And I love you. <laughs> she still gets tennis elbow from playing. But Jesus tells us in Luke 18 really a lot about, about this season and how we're supposed to approach it. He says this, Truly I tell you, anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. And there's a great theologian, a current great theologian named Will Willimon, who says this. He says, I suggest to you that we are better givers than getters. 
that in today's culture, we are better givers than getters. And he goes on to say this. He says, it's not because we're generous people, but because we're proud and arrogant people. The Christmas story, the one in Luke, not in Dickens, is not about how blessed it is to be givers, but about how essential it is to see ourselves as receivers. We prefer to think of ourselves as givers. We prefer to think of ourselves as powerful, having something to give, have something to bless other people, to be able to employ some of our power on behalf of those less fortunate to make a difference in life. And there is so much beauty in that, that God calls us to be generous people in all areas of our lives. But that is really a direct contradiction to the biblical account of the first Christmas. We think of our best as giving. We hear it all the time. You say it in your job. You say it. You've heard all your coaches if you've played sports say it. It's always what? Give your best, right? And we always go through life saying, I'm going to give my best. And there's, and there's a beauty in that. And, and at Christmas time, when we, we, we tend to focus on that by focusing on the stories of the wise man who came and gave gifts to Jesus. And yet one of the supreme struggles of faith is found in the Christmas story. And I found it really interesting because I think the person who, who describes that struggle the best is actually a Jewish rabbi named Michael Goldberg. He wrote a book called Jews and Christians, and, and in it he describes how he reads the Christmas story in the Gospels, and, and he says he's impressed, utterly impressed by how passive the actors are in this history. You know, we look at all the stories of the Old Testament, the great people of faith. We look at Abraham, and we see all the actions he took, how when God called him, he walked for miles to try to sacrifice Isaac, which he thought was what God was going to do, and God intervenes. And we see all the other stories of the great leaders, people like David, and and God calls them, and and they do these great feats, the great courageous acts on behalf of God as a response to him. And, And in many of those instances, those great responses involve the entire nation in responding as well. And yet as Jesus expresses, as God expresses his unimaginable love for us, in this, the pivot point of all history, Christmas, God coming to us, incarnate, in the flesh, there's no real action required. It's just receiving just saying yes. There's no fanfare that encompasses a nation. There's no great feat of power or courage or it's just saying yes to this unimaginably good gift from God, from a God we hardly know, from a God who seems so distant so many times to us. We began this Advent series talking about this premise that Satan's main goal is nothing less than to take what is most precious to us and make it appear most common, to make it familiar. And when we celebrate the coming of Jesus, we read all the passages, we go through all the fanfare, we, read this, we listen to the, the hymns and we hear them over and over again. We le- read the story in Luke and, 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 and we even read this scripture that sums up the entire event of Jesus' coming where it just says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son. And we read John 3.16 and all the other verses and it's just, we've heard them a million times. It's just so familiar. 
And we read it and we think about it and we go, well, what God did makes sense. We understand, we can logically wrap our minds around the concept that, that we've sinned and, and in God's economy, the way things are when we sin against God, that there's a, there's a payment to, to be paid because we all know that when we do something wrong, we want to make things right. And we can wrap our minds around that concept and, and say that makes complete sense, but, but the why behind how God comes at Christmas to us especially is, is beyond comprehension. It is utterly, overwhelmingly beautiful. Why would God, who has been so spurned generation after generation, still choose to come to us as a baby? His love is so unexplainable. Only God could love like that. He's a creator with a heart that when we think about it, the only response is to sit back in awe at the greatness of the gift that he gives us. The God who created all that is, the King of kings and Lord of lords, master of all, creator of all, holds all power, holds everything together, chooses to come to us as a baby. Why? It's amazing. And it's a gift that's hard to receive. I mean, in general, we have a hard time receiving gifts, don't we? We always want gifts that we can reciprocate, right? How many of you know an experience where you gave a gift and it was just this little thing and somebody gave you an extravagant gift back and you just went, oh, crud, how am I ever going to live up to that? How many of you had that experience? I, I'm never going to be able to live up to this. I'm never going to be able to give as good a gift. And I feel so embarrassed at what I gave. And we all want this gift balance in our life. But we so easily miss love both in our relationships and especially with God because of our inability to receive. And, it's, and it's, it really gets bad when, when the person we're supposed to get a gift for or we get a gift from is this person who has it all. They just have every material comfort you can imagine. We can't think of anything they would ever want. They have their life together, their marriage together, their business together, their wives. Everybody goes to them for answers and we're supposed to find them a gift and and we just, you've experienced that. What am I supposed to do? The frustration? And if you're like me, when you try to find a gift for a person like that, you just, you just want to avoid it. You just want to go, I give up. What am I going to do? And it's, you walk through life frustrated trying to figure it out. And God's perfection, his awesomeness, his holiness, his power, his wisdom that's so far beyond all that we are, makes it so difficult for us to receive him and this gift. We feel so unnecessary. We feel so unable to compare, so helpless in the face of God. And, and you, think, you think about it, and you go, well, yeah, I know that the only response in, in light of that kind of perfection, that kind of power is complete and utter surrender of my life, but that is just so... It puts us with this utter awareness of our own, our own inability to give. And, and, and not even giving ourselves in this environment is even good enough because we know we're not good enough. So even giving ourselves leaves us at this point of feeling helpless before God. It's this supreme discomfort that we face. 
and for many of us, our natural reaction in that environment is the same we do when we're trying to face a friend who has it all. We're trying to figure out a gift. We avoid it. We get frustrated. We push it away. We, we, we push our discomfort off to the side and, and, and because sometimes, especially in relation to God, we find life more comfortable and easy to live even if we live it in a lie. We find it more comfortable believing that we can work hard enough, that we can do something good enough to merit his love and his favor, and we're, we always fall prey to that. And so we live life believing the lie that my best is what I can give. But the beauty of the Christmas story is that God responds to this barrier that makes us have such a difficult time receiving his gift by doing something that is against all logic by, by coming as a baby, this universally most non-threatening thing, the most touchable, the, the, the thing that we all adore, the, the, the child that everybody wants to touch and hold and, and nobody's threatened by a baby. We just, we just look at it and, and through this coming as a baby, he destroys this barrier between us of his perfection and instead comes to us and invites us to touch him to hold him, to know him. And then he invites us to be his friend, this King of kings, this Lord of lords, this person who is so far beyond us, invites us to friendship. I don't know about you, but the depth of love for me is is hard to comprehend. You try to figure out an analogy to to describe how hard it is to to do it, and you come up with things like, it's harder to comprehend the love of God than than it is to catch a snowstorm in a pitchfork. You know, or it's harder to comprehend the love of God than it is to, to catch Niagara Falls and hold it all in a thimble. It's just, how do you even talk about it? And Jesus being born this time of year is more about teaching us to be receivers than it is teaching us about being givers. My best is indeed not the best I can give. My best is learning to fully receive that love. Just receive it and accept it. We're all receivers before we're givers. It's hard to swallow. I'd rather see myself as a giver. I'd rather see myself as having some power to do something instead of being completely, utterly humble in the face of God. I'd like to be able to take charge to earn what I get instead of of receiving a gift. I I even find it comfortable, uh, uncomfortable. I'd I'd rather set things right when I do wrong instead of being forgiven. I don't like seeing myself as dependent. I don't like seeing myself as needy, as, as empty, as having nothing to offer. At Christmas, we would rather focus on the courage of Mary and Joseph, and there is courage there to focus on. We would rather focus on the nobility of the wise men, and there is nobility to focus on and learn from there. We'd rather focus on the responsiveness of the shepherds than on the gift itself that we cannot earn, this great love that we can't even describe. Among the most familiar Christmas texts is one that found in Isaiah. Isaiah, this, this great prophet in the Old Testament, says this, and we've all heard it. If you've been around church for any length of time or, or visited even on, just on Christmas, you've heard it. It says, the Lord himself will give you a sign in Isaiah 7, 14. 
Behold, a young woman shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel, meaning God with us. And we read that text and and, and, and we love it because it speaks to us. We've even written songs about it, O come, O come, Emmanuel. But less familiar to us is the context of that verse. Isaiah, this great prophet, is pleading with King Ahaz to put his trust in God's promise to Israel rather than put his trust in alliances with strong military powers around him like Syria in the face of the Assyrians or the Babylonians coming against him. A few verses earlier in Isaiah 7, 9, Isaiah warns Ahaz and he says, If you will not believe, you shall not be established. And then the prophet, a couple verses later, goes on and tells him as he's facing this huge army outside of his walls, this overwhelmingly army, he gives him this promise. He says, you'll have a baby. And Ahaz is probably going, oh, great. What am I going to do? Throw them at the people with the spears? I need an army. I need weapons. God's going to answer me with a baby? And the reality for many of us, I think, as we journey our faith with God is that this is often the way God loves us. With gifts we think we don't need to change us into people we don't even know that we need to be yet. We so easily assume that religion, that our faith in God is about giving a little of our power, giving a little bit of our money or our time or our our influence or our leadership in order to confirm to ourselves that we are indeed as self-sufficient and good as we think we are and want to be. And then this stranger, this God, sends Jesus born into poverty in this damp, dark stable in the middle of nowhere and blesses us with a gift and calls us to see ourselves as we are, empty-handed recipients of a gracious God who rather than leave us to our own devices, he answers many of our problems by giving us a baby. You know, where are you having difficulty receiving all of who God is to you? Are you fully trusting God's love? Are you fully trusting his plan in your life? Are you fully trusting his provision in your life? Are you trusting him in your relationships? Are there places in your life where you think, I'm not sure I want all of him there. He can have this, but I'm not sure I trust him there. I'm not sure I want to give this area to him. You know, maybe God is answering your need for an army with a baby. Are you trusting in your intelligence are you trusting in your hard work, your, your bank account, your social charm, your, your ideas, your track record, your strength, your health, your, your relationships to save you from problems that you're facing, to, to bring you happiness, to give you the success that you want, to save your marriage or to bring you a spouse if you're not married? God is inviting us today to discover that the best is not what we can give. Our best starts with simply receiving this unimaginable love to be so humbled before him that we have nothing but receiving to do. And receiving of that kind, the only response to it is worship. Worship, this, this word that we sometimes confuse with just music on Sunday, is this, this idea of, of, of absolute trust, of, of bowing before God, of, 
of trusting him with everything that is and all that we are and, and giving him praise and making sure that he receives all the honor for every good thing that happens in our life. But we so easily lose sight of worship and we so easily lose sight of the beauty of God's love because the familiar takes over. We gather for worship at church and, and if it's not entertaining enough or if the music isn't good enough or things don't go right or, or, or it doesn't speak to us, we, we walk away and go, oh, well, God wasn't there when it really was about us coming to worship. Or, or we approach Christmas and we lose the awe of the incomprehensible love and gift of God, the gift from the one in whom we live and move and have our being, the Bible says. And it's easy in our frustrations to lose sight of who is real, who is working on our behalf, regardless of whether we feel like we've got the resources, the competence, the the programs, the, the people at work, the money, regardless of what is real in our world, we so easily lose sight of this God who is working on our behalf. We all fall prey to this trusting in our armies because we become familiar with what's around us, trusting in our, our, our resources. And we find ourselves living life from this place of critique and cynicism and disillusionment in our faith or in our work or other places because it just becomes boredom. It just becomes the same old, same old. And rather than seeing God around us and with us and in us and worshiping him at all times, it's so easy to do. Wendy has a story that I wanted her to come and share with you um, about just an experience that both of us had, although she was the one that was there that Sunday by herself, of the fog of the familiar and God cutting through it for her. Yeah, when we were living in Oregon, we chose to be a part of a church plant that was meeting in a roller rink. And um, it was a, a 20-some minute drive. We didn't plan the connection and the theme today yeah. between the announcements Which, and that. Know, it just, our roller skating and, twins would have really loved it. Yeah. I'm sure Tony would have had a good time. And sometimes we did. But this roller rink wasn't probably as nice as the one in Sunbury. It hadn't been redecorated, I'm sure, since the early 70s. So on the wall was that yellow and orange shag carpeting with this beautiful floral design on the floor. With all the boogers from the 70s, too. Ross, yeah. Well, anyway, it wasn't inspiring. As, we, as we'd come in, we didn't even get to come in the front foyer. We came in through the side door. So it's windowless. It had the disco balls. It had every loud banner on the walls. And I can't even tell you what was hanging down at Halloween from the ceiling. So this is how we did it. And it was fun for the first year or two. Um, and then by year 11, I really didn't enjoy it. It was so uninspiring, uninspiring to my soul. And um, so there was one Sunday, Ross was gone again on business, and I was with the kids, and they didn't want to go. It was cold. It was like a long drive, and I thought, oh, should I go? So we went ahead and got the kids there. I came in with an agitated heart. I didn't want to be there. Um, So my kids, we sat down toward the back. Uh, They were on my right, and um, on my left was a gentleman. And when we were, as the worship music started and he stood to worship, I remembered that he was going to go in to have surgery the next week to have his larynx removed due to cancer. And so, um, you know, from that point, he would lose his voice for some time. He would never have that normal speech again. And he'd have to learn how to breathe and swallow air into his esophagus and emit sounds. And um, I was just overwhelmed um, sitting there when I didn't want to have been there. Um, to be next to this gentleman the last time that he got to worship in a group setting, his God. And I was overwhelmed with his loss. I was 
overwhelmed with the honor of that, and I was overwhelmed with what worship really is. And um, so um, with that, when I pull into a time when I come in and I worship and it feels real familiar and I'd prefer to maybe be by myself or I don't really like the song or whatever, I try to pull into that memory because um, it's a gift that we have for worship. And um, we receive, but we get this opportunity. And it's one of the most precious things that we get to do as a body is to join together to sing to the one that we believe. And so um, we, you know, we're, we're choosing to pick and end this time as we go into this last week with a familiar Christmas carol. Um, the words are real familiar, and we could just sing it, or we could choose to worship. And um, so Naomi's going to lead us in a song. Yeah, join us in worship. Would you take this time to realize, you know, that verse talks about the fact of his power coming. And we don't stand a chance against it. He is so in awe. And yet when we receive him, it sparks hope. It sparks life. It sparks love for us. Would you take some time to just from the busyness and experience that this Christmas. Lord, thank you so much for this indescribable gift. You being so perfect and so amazing and so true and so powerful, and yet you come to us so vulnerable, so touchable, inviting us to you, inviting us to receive. In all of our humility, you come to us as love and call us friend. We're grateful. We're grateful.